0: As an American, I love living in Plymouth. This city is rich in history and culture. It has spectacular scenery and amazing architecture. In my time here, I have discovered plenty of hidden histories tucked away, each of them with fascinating stories to tell. I'm Bobby Inman. Come with me as we explore Beyond the Mayflower Steps. Living in Plymouth, it does not take long to realize just how surrounded by history we are. All over the city are reminders of long-gone eras and forgotten ways of life. Moments of history suspended in time, reminding us of the significance of the area throughout. I wanted this episode to be an example of how much history there is to be found in a small area. So come with me on a brilliant short walk, starting and ending from the Mayflower Steps, where I'll highlight just a few of the brilliant gems Plymouth has to offer. Whether you are following along with this episode in your imagination or with your feet, please note that while we haven't attempted to stay perfectly in sync with a regular walking pace, we have tried to give clear points of interest to help guide you and ensure you stay on track. A link to a map of the route can be found on our Facebook page and in the description of this episode. As we begin... Face out from the steps and turn to your right toward Sutton Harbor. This harbor and pier are the birthplace of modern Plymouth and was a dynamic place from the start. One of the first things you may notice is the 33-foot tall statue of what you might think looks like a sea monster. And to be fair, you wouldn't be far off thinking that. Unveiled in 1996 by artist and metalworker Brian Fell, it's an amalgamation of some of the creatures you might encounter in Plymouth Sound which you can learn about on the plaque surrounding the column upon which the statue rests. Its official name is the Leviathan, but colloquially it is known as the Barbican Prawn, and it even has its own Twitter account under that name. After the Prawn, we continue forward over the swinging footbridge towards the large building with the wavy roof, and this is the National Marine Aquarium. The aquarium is certainly worth a visit during your time here in Plymouth. Up ahead, the path is going to split, and the right is going to go up the hill, but make sure you stay to the left, keeping the aquarium right beside you. So with the aquarium on our left and coming around to the other side, we're now in the area known as Lockyer's Key. Upon arriving at the pub that shares this name, I encourage you to turn around and look across the road, where in between the aquarium and the parking garage stands an archway that dates from the 1800s. Cut from local Plymouth limestone, it once formed part of the boundary that enclosed the coal and cement yards. When the garage was built, it was relocated stone by stone to this site by master masons to ensure this piece of history remained intact. As we continue our amble, with Lockyer's Key on our right, we're now going to keep to the edge of the harbor, which will lead us towards the China House, which is now a restaurant, the Miller and Carter Steakhouse. This historic building was built in 1650 and has had a variety of uses, from a naval storehouse in gun Wharf and a naval hospital, to become the factory of William Cookworthy, who was the first producer of porcelain in England, hence the name China House. William Cookworthy received his patent for porcelain in 1768. We turn right in front of the China House and meander around the slipway, once again keeping to the edge of the harbor close by, The swans and seabirds swimming around the slipway are pretty much permanent residents and have become very used to passersby tossing them food, but don't toss them any bread. As we carry around the corner of the harbor, be sure to look down the wall where you may see what looks like a tunnel. After unloading their horse-drawn carriages onto the various docks, merchants would then walk their horses into that place for a nice bath to cleanse and cool down their animals. Also, be sure to keep an eye out for a short section of disused railroad tracks which connected to the wider network once upon a time and were used for transporting goods to and from the harbor. This area was quite small when the tracks were installed, so see if you can spot the small circles on the ground which were the turnplates or wagon turntables which they used to turn around. When we come to the end of the tracks, we're going to leave the water behind and we're going to cross Vauxhall Street and join Lou Street. Walking up the hill, you might notice the Minerva Inn on your left, and this is the oldest surviving pub in Plymouth with amazing architecture that reflects its long history and significance. I'm going in to talk to Shelley, the current landlady, to see if I can uncover more history in this amazing building. So we're here with Shelley Jones, who is the landlady of the Minerva Inn, which is the oldest surviving pub in Plymouth, if I understand. The
1: oldest still serving, yes.
0: And, and so what happened to the other one? What happened to the, um, the there oldest was a, pub? Uh,
1: the Turk's head was older and that was on the site where Kitty O'Hannins stands now.
0: So not far from here, really. No, not far
1: from here, but um, it had a fire and broke down to the ground, so... Right.
0: Was that during the Blitz? Was that... Was that um,
1: I'm not quite sure, actually, if it was during the Blitz okay. or what's what caused the fire. I'm not sure.
0: And how long has this been a pub?
1: Um, it was built in 1520 as a merchant's house. Uh, 1540. It became a pub, but only for seafarers. Right. 1577. It got its first public license. Wow,
0: 1577. That's just that's amazing. So, and how long have you been a landlady? I've been here
1: 12 years.
0: 12 years. And what kind of changes have you seen in, in the pub? Not a lot. Not a lot. But <laughs> no. how has the pub changed over the years? Say since since 1577. How do how do you think it's it's um, changing?
1: The actual lay- layout inside has changed a lot. Where we're sitting now which was a courtyard. So next door and this building was one building. And um, this room and next door, that was a courtyard. So the pub ended at the back of the bar and there was a well in the corner. And this was, would have been all outside. Wow. So, um, so
0: on, a, a well, like an actual yes. watering
1: well? Yes. Oh wow, in, indoors
0: in, yeah. in the pub. Oh, That's well, would,
1: fascinating. Yeah. Out in, outside in the court, It would have been in the courtyard. And, so, go ahead. The well um, would have led down to the passages that go underneath.
0: Now there, are, there were secret passages yes. underneath yeah. the Minerva. At
1: the end of the street there um, used to be the building that housed Plymouth Art Centre. And the tunnels start there, and they run down this side of the street underneath, and they go up, come out at Southern Harbour, so that they, when the press gang, this was home to the press gang in the early 18th century, so they would take the um, volunteers that they found in the drinking in the pub out through the tunnels out onto a ship. And, awesome! Yeah.
0: That's amazing. And now, now I would like to talk about. The place the pub holds in in society in, in England, and and I think that has changed a lot over the years. And in, in, I've been in Plymouth for 14 years and been in England for 16, and I've seen a lot of changes in the way oh, the yes, pub is, is the, the placeholder it holds in society. And so, if you could expand just a little bit on on the importance of the pub in in society and how that is as oh, it's a,
1: um, traditionally in English pubs are more than just drinking holes. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, when I'm behind the bar, I could be a teacher, a landlady, a social worker, a a, a doctor, I could be any, you know, any of those things within one hour of meeting different people. They come in here to tell you their problems, you listen, you may give advice if you can, Um, yeah, you could be a marriage counsellor, you know, anything. Loads of
0: different it, It's a totally different culture than, than America has, with, especially with alcohol, I think, in general. But the, the pub culture is something so unique. It's, it's so much more than, like you said, a drinking house. It's a, it's a social gathering place. It's a place of business. Yeah, uh, you know, since 1577, I wonder how many business transactions have been conducted oh, gosh, in this yes. pub. You get, the, the millions of pounds worth of, of commerce that has gone on right here. Well, Shelley, I want to say thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate your input for this episode. It's going to be great. I, I thank you very much. And it's a wonderful, wonderful building you've got here. Thank
1: you.
0: Well, have a great day. Cheers. Thank you. You are listening to Beyond the Mayflower Steps. Beyond
1: the Mayflower Steps. Beyond the Mayflower Steps, the podcast.
0: Many thanks to Shelley for that enlightening interview. And really, when you go in the Minerva, The architecture and the beams and the construction is so evident and so amazing. The history is right there in front of your face. Our producer, Jake, headed down to the Minerva on a Thursday night at 8 p.m., where regularly local musicians gather to make music, have fun, and drink lots of local ales. Be sure to keep listening to the end of this episode. Jake captured a unique rendition of the classic sea shanty, What Shall We Do With a Drunken Sailor? As we come to the top of Blue Street, be sure to look above the door of the Parisian Suite, a vintage clothing shop on the corner, where you'll find a plaque about Sir Francis Drake, who we will talk about much more in a later episode. Directly across from that plaque, you may notice a granite archway. This is the last remnant, of a medieval monastery and dates back to the 1100s. After Henry VIII ordered the destruction of the monasteries, it became the mayoral home of Plymouth during the 14th and 15th century. And then finally, it was part of the boundaries of St. Martin's School until much of it was lost during the World War II Blitz. In the next street over, Howe Street, you'll find one of the oldest barbers in Plymouth, Rogers Barbershop with an impressive collection of antique shaving mugs displayed in the windows. Hence also, where you'll usually find me, as I've been a barber for 20 years, and this is where I ply my trade. As we go through the arch and cross Buckwell Street on the crosswalk, we'll take a left and look down the street for an easy-to-spot restaurant called The Buckwell. Inside this eatery, you will find a well dating back to the 15th century. Which was used by Sir Francis Drake. A house was built over the top of it, and it was lost until 1979, when renovations to the building uncovered it, and its history has intrigued people ever since. Turning beside the Buckwell, we will now walk down High Street, and at the far end on the right is the site of the pub Shelley from the Minerva was talking about, the Turk's Head, which is now Kitty O'Hanlon's. But before we get to that, we'll take a left down through John Hawkins Square. John Hawkins was a prominent trader and explorer from Plymouth in the 16th century, and his influence can be seen all over this area. At the bottom of the square, we'll take a ride onto Palace Street, and we're going to be looking directly at the Plymouth Merchant House. This is the finest example left in Plymouth of a 16th and 17th century house that belonged to the wealthy merchants. For most of the 1600s, it was the home of several mayors of Plymouth, It has had several uses throughout the years, from private residence to an office for a taxi firm to four mini-museums after the council began restoration in 1970. We follow St. Andrews Street down the hill to Knott Street, which we cross at the crosswalk and take a left until we turn onto Southside Street on our right. The large white building coming up is the famous Plymouth Gin Distillery. This building dates back to the 1400s, with parts confirmed being built in 1431. The Pilgrim Fathers held meetings in its medieval hall to go over their cargo and repairs, often in secret. We're now back on the Barbican, which is one of my favorite parts of the city. Many of the buildings have historical significance, with most of the area dating back to the 15th and 16th centuries. The cobbled streets and Victorian houses always take me back to a time long gone. We continue along Southside Street until we reach Friars Lane, going up the hill to our right. At the top, take a left onto New Street and keep a sharp eye out for an unassuming entrance on the right, leading to one of Plymouth's truly hidden gems, the Elizabethan Gardens. There are very few places in this series that have either opening hours or or limited disabled access. Unfortunately, the gardens have both. These are actually seven connecting gardens dating back to the 16th century, but were mostly destroyed during the Blitz of Plymouth during World War II, along with several houses in the vicinity. Plans were put in place to demolish the entire area, including the gardens, and build new houses on top of the ruins. But the Barbican Association was formed by concerned citizens in an effort to save the historical significance of the homes and gardens. The gardens were restored and reopened in 1970 as part of the 350th anniversary commemorations of the Mayflower. This is evidenced by the original passenger manifest plaque that you can see at the top of the initial set of stairs. As we make our way out of the top of the gardens, we find ourselves on Castle Street. Heading down and winding slightly to the left, you can't help but notice the three crooked bollards directly in front of you. Dating back to the late 1700s, their exact purpose has been lost to time, which I've always thought about as a fun and baffling mystery. Step between the bollards and we find ourselves almost back at the Mayflower Steps, and our loop is complete. Even in the relatively short distance this walk entails, there's so much history to uncover. It seems like every time I walk around, I find something exciting and new to explore and learn about. I hope you've enjoyed coming along with us on this journey, as we've explored some of the sites and historical spots in this small area of Plymouth. If you've enjoyed this, there are many historical walks being organized for the Mayflower 400 commemorations. Find them online, and especially at www.mayflower400uk.org.
1: You are listening to... Beyond the Mayflower Steps. Beyond the Mayflower Steps. Beyond the Mayflower Steps. Beyond the Mayflower Steps. The podcast.
0: Now, as promised, let's listen to What Shall We Do with the Drunken Sailor, which was recorded live at one of the Minerva sessions. These take place every Thursday night at 8 o'clock. <laughs> what an amazing rendition by some really talented local artists. Plymouth is full of all kinds of talent and skill and art everywhere you look. Be sure to check out www.mayflower400uk.org for details of the many events, projects, and exhibits that will be happening throughout the commemorations all through the city. You've been listening to Beyond the Mayflower Steps, production and sound design by Jake Bradshaw, Logo designed by Jack Neal. Graphic design and digital communication by Noemi Bracci. And hosted by me, Bobby Inman, for JB International Productions.